Hello everyone, it's uh, Matt Whitmore here with the lovely Keris Marsden on Fitter Food Radio and this is episode number 18. Keris posted something up in our Fitter Food group the other day about some tests we have do- had done by a, a company called DNA Fit and we were all a bit hush-hush as to what was going on and why we were doing it because the plan always was to discuss our results with the people that actually know what the results mean. Um, <laughs> and we thought it would make for a great podcast so you guys get a better understanding of what it is, what it involves, and how we can make changes based on the results. So we are very pleased to have Andrew Steele on the episode with us. Oh. <laughs> how you doing, Andrew? Very well. Thank you for having me. Yeah. <laughs> bit, a bit of... Bit of Cue background of, noise. <laughs> Just every start, that's how it's going to be. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I I guess uh, I'll I'll tell everyone a little bit about myself and and who I am. Definitely. Um, My my name is Andrew Steele. I'm actually a 400 meter runner for Great Britain. I'm in the 400 and the 4 by 400 meter relay. And uh, my, I guess, the highest point of my career so far was uh, competing in the Beijing Olympic Games in 2008, where um, I reached the semi final in my individual event, and then. We came fourth in the final of the 4x4 relay. So close to a medal, but yet so far. So So I've I've been a sort of professional athlete for for about 10 years now. Uh, As we speak now with um, the noisy background noise, I'm actually at a uh, training camp in Florida here where I'm training in the sun and uh, being all very glamorous about my uh, athletic lifestyle and um, looking forward to competing out here in the US and then I'll be returning to Europe to hopefully running the Commonwealth Games and the European Championships this coming summer. Oh, wow. Awesome. We're going to be watching and we'll be like, we know him, we know him. <laughs> That's the guy with the noisy Skype connection. <laughs> so how did you, um, as an athlete, because we, we didn't actually know that you were an athlete until we, we met you that time, um, so as an athlete, how did you get involved with these guys at DNA Fit? Because we actually started to have a chat about this at the time, and it was a really intriguing story, but we unfortunately got cut off. So, yeah, yeah, why, why, don't yeah. You, why don't you tell us about that? Well, yeah, okay. So, I mean, um, my uh, as I mentioned, so the high point in my career so far came in 2008, uh, and I had some, some very good years running up to that, 2006, 2007, 2008. And now I'm a 400-meter runner. It's officially a sprint, you know, I... Although it's, it's a whole lap, is quite a fast sprint, but it's officially a sprint event. And at the time, I used to train sort of a little bit more than what would be classically considered like an 800-meter training program, a bit more of a middle-distance training program. We'd measure my resting heart rate, we'd measure how much mileage I was clocking up every week. Uh, we kind of just do a bit of classic northern graft, really, in my training. <laughs> and um, and, and it, it obviously worked fairly well for me. I, I ran the time uh, under 45 seconds for 400 metres, which is generally the barrier when you're considered world-class. So that was all very exciting for me. And after the Beijing Olympic Games, I was looking ahead to the next four years, and obviously looming on the horizon was the beast of London 2012. And right. I was going to be uh, 27 years old, home Olympic Games. It all seemed just right. So um, I was looking forward to that and thinking, right, how do I make sure when I get to London, I'm not just in the semi-final, but I'm winning a medal and I'm hopefully winning the gold medal when I get there. So um, my coach and I and the various other people involved in the process, we, we sat down and we thought, well, how, how are we going to do this? What's going to happen? And meanwhile, I was envisaging four years of being on Question of Sport all the time and you know, <laughs> having my face on billboards and all the great things that come Sponsorship. Yeah, sponsorship and fame. So um, I was like, here we go. This is great now. Um, it's not going to go – it's all going to go swimmingly from here on in. Um, so so we, we, we looked at it and basically the weakest part of my race was uh, was my first 100 metres. Essentially, I'd never been – a I've never been a great sprinter. I was a good sprinter, hence why I'm a professional athlete. Uh, but I was never a like never really good out of the blocks. Never good on my, that good on my drive phase. But I, I was the guy with the stupidly good endurance in the last hundred meters of the event, um, and I was kind of known for that. That was my calling card. Uh, and part of that was down to the fact that I trained a bit more like a middle distance runner. So we we, we were looking how to improve, and we had the question to improve: Do we stay the same? Or do we change? 
we decided that I needed to work on my weaknesses. I needed to improve my short sprint ability and become almost a world class two hundred meter runner, and then add in my endurance in order to become a you know Olympic medal level four hundred meter runner. Mm. So we did that over the coming years. Um, and the reality is, like whatever we did, there was a number of factors, but it, it didn't quite really work out. Um, so I, I missed out on the London 2012 Games with an Achilles tear uh, in uh-huh. late 2011, which was uh, somewhat troublesome, as you can imagine. Yeah. And then in the in the years prior, I'd had um, I'd had quite uh, sort of a rough time. I, I, I had glandular fever for about 18 months, and I uh, had a, a quite a bad um, groin injury in 2009, which kept me out of the whole season. So th- th- those factors played a part, but essentially. Uh, by 2012, I just wasn't really the athlete I was in 20 in 2008. And after 2012 passed, and I didn't make it, and it was almost like a death in the family not making it to the home Olympic Games. I can games. imagine. Wow. Yeah, it was quite, <laughs> quite stressful to say the least. It was actually, a, I, I was sort of sat at home and I was thinking, right, that didn't really work out. Um, the last four years sort of vanished like that with M4 on your and I wasn't on question at all once in the whole time. <laughs> so so um, I was trying to assess what, what, what can I change or what went wrong and how can I get back to being the athlete I was. And essentially I'd figured out in my head privately that I need to go back to doing more endurance-based training because I'm never going to be a great world-class 100-meter runner or 200-meter runners, but I can be super world-class at the endurance side of things. So I, I, I said, I thought to myself, right, I'm going to gonna go back to doing the what's traditionally considered a little bit too much volume, a little bit too much distance for 400-meter training. And shortly around this time, I, I got basically solicited a free DNA fit test. Um, I got sent to it, sent it to me through my coach. Uh, I was away in Arizona on a training camp at the time. Uh, just took the test out of curiosity and sent it back. No, no, no preconceptions about what I was. I, I was just being an athlete and doing my thing. And then when I got the results, I was, to be honest, I was quite impressed. Like I, <laughs> I, I got the results, and I found I was a, a mixed genotype with an endurance majority, so biased towards endurance. Well, I tell you what, Andrew. Let, let me just interrupt you there, yeah. buddy. Um, yeah. Before we go into that. Why don't you uh, kind of, in a nutshell, tell us essentially what a DNA fit like test is, what it involves exactly? Yeah, good. So DNA fit is essentially it's a very simple saliva swab test. It looks a little bit like an earbud. You rub it on the inside of your cheek. It's sent by the post. People send it back to us in the post. It goes to our UK laboratory. And within seven to ten days, you get your uh, genotype results. Now, we test for a set panel of genes that are associated with health and fitness, and only those genes. So we strictly only test for the genes associated with health and fitness. There's nothing more. We don't um, advocate any sort of medical diagnosis. There's nothing personal in there. Just these genes associated with health and fitness. And um, the markers we can report on from, from this this genotype would be on the fitness side we look at someone's power or endurance genetic predisposition so which variants of uh, key genes they hold which are associated with either power or endurance uh, response then we look at your um, the vo2 max response so an aerobic training response whether you're high responder low responder to vo2 max training recovery speed that's based on your uh, inflammatory results um, after hard exercise so your ability to, you know whether you're genetic prone to have more information after exercise or not and then uh, injury risk as well so uh, that's really quite a powerful one for me as a professional sports person am I at a genetically predisposed high injury risk or um, do I have a slower recovery speed for example which helps me make help or helps give me another layer of information to help me make the best choices in training it's not the be all and end all it's not a fix all solution it's a it's a further parameter to sort of define what might be the ideal training modality or how to tweak training across uh, across the board uh, just be using this as a, a really interesting and useful piece of information and then we also do a nutrition panel as well so the DNA fit diet which can look so um, it's quite a long list of things but um, so some it's up we can uh, sort of recommend what might be a more optimal diet type based on your genetics based on your carbohydrate sensitivity your saturated fat sensitivity salt, alcohol, caffeine sensitivity, celiac predisposition, lactose intolerance, and whether you have a raised need for key micronutrients such as 
vitamin D need or omega-3 need or if you need more antioxidants than another or what your natural ability for phase one detoxification is so whether you might need to eat more cruciferous vegetables to for a detox purpose than others and so on so overall there's a lot of information to take in um, but it's quite a rich useful package in the end when you really add that to what else you know through your lifestyle and your environment uh, as a professional athlete as well but also as just as in general health and fitness uh, if you're training in the gym only once or twice a week you want to make sure that you're doing exactly what works for you rather than just something else that someone said and I guess like our mission to put it in very Silicon Valley startup terms in this, these grandiose terms is to sort of get rid of the one size fits all approach to yeah. training and nutrition which is just a bit of a nightmare for most people definitely definitely you know, when we work with clients, we're forever stressing that obviously, you know, what works for one doesn't work for the other. And certain styles of training, some people just respond exceptionally well to both in a body composition uh, perspective and kind of their general strength and well-being and, and how good they get at it. Um, yeah. Whereas someone else, it'd be the complete flip reversal, right? Well, that's it. I mean, I've seen it in my, you know, I, I trained in a training group in Manchester for most of my career, about 20 years there. And um, over the years, you know, I've seen people that do exactly the same training as me, eat the same as me, try just as hard as me. But yet when it comes to a race, I'm four seconds quicker than them or five seconds quicker, you know. And so it's a case of like there isn't a one size fits all thing with diet or with um, any sort of training. And I've been forced to learn that, and most people are forced to learn that through lengthy trial and error, costly trial and error, both emotionally and financially. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, anything that can go towards just just trying to sort of slightly light the path in this haze of like every week in the magazine is like, oh, this is the best diet for you now. And then next week is another best diet that's completely different. Or yeah. this is the best way to train to get a six pack. Next week is another new way to train to get a six pack, which is the best way. So how does anyone just entering, just trying to get themselves in shape, just trying to change their body composition, just trying to get into being good at a sport. How do they identify from the literature around or from the advice given what might be the best way for them? Yeah. And DNA isn't isn't going to tell you that exactly, but it can just at least lean your uh, knowledge some way towards understanding something about how you are made genetically. So what did your um, test results throw up then when you got yours back? I was at this point reconsidering saying, you know, I'm going to go back to doing the endurance training, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do what sort of worked best for me in the past. And I basically found out that on my power endurance score on uh, my DNA fit test, I was uh, I was a mixed genotype, but with a bias towards endurance. So I had a good amount of both um, associations, but I was just just tipped towards endurance. So um, in theory, when I was trying to become the very world class sprinter, a short sprinter uh, amongst my peers, that I was probably almost fighting against my genetic tide a little bit. Yeah, uh, I was almost losing my individual calling card and um there wasn't the guy that was stupidly strong in the last hundred meters anymore uh, and, and over those years and by playing to my genetic strengths a little bit more by taking advantage of my uh, power endurance mix and trying to turn the tables back to uh, to really take taking advantage of what i've got within me so what, what, what was your percentage on the kind of power endurance um, so I, ratio i was, uh, I was uh, basically around, around 60 percent endurance 40 percent power roughly mm. um so you know if you were to put that that way and just take that as an arbitrary score that's probably about what i use how i used to to distribute my training strengths uh, in four hundred for four hundred meter training, I probably did a majority, not massive, but a majority of endurance work with a with a large amount of power work still, but not not taking up the majority. Definitely the lesser half. So so it was really quite interesting. Just to me, that just sort of ticked a box, and I, and I was like, well done, guys. So the couple of the other results which sort of you know lit a bulb in my head at the time were uh, I had a, I was basically a slow recoverer. And I had glandular fever, which is essentially an illness caused by overtraining. Um, so that sort of ticked a box. I was like, oh, well done. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> then, uh, and then I had um, had, had a, a very high risk of uh, tendon and soft tissue injury. So I'm like 
basically my life was ruined in a way by a, an Achilles tear in the run-ups of the London 2012 games and I've always suffered from Achilles tendinopathy my entire career like it's a nagging problem which is just always hung around and the, the, the key is like I, I knew this information after the event I, I knew this once I'd been forced to learn this I could have told you I was at higher risk of tendon injury probably uh, I could have told you that I was probably a slower recovery than others and I probably could have told you that I thrived more on a mix but with some in, more endurance training than power um, however I was still like well done to these guys because uh, this is almost matches exactly my experience and it, had I known this four years ago it might have influenced my decision making when I was choosing mm. like the larger macro cycle uh, aim of my training so you know it can be very powerful and it's one extra factor in the whole gamut of you know measuring your body fat, yeah. measuring how how much bench press you can do, what your power clean PB is, what your resting heart rate is. These are all pieces of information um, that obviously in elite sport we use it all the time. Many layers of information, but people probably need to start feeding more of this data measurement into their everyday life in order to make the best of that two hours a week they've got to train. Or, but, but know, that, or that's the difference, though. Do one marathon or something, you know, like you don't want to mess it up. Do you? Yeah, so, yeah. One yeah. Of do, do you not think? I mean, that's obviously quite a big uh, factor here. Is that obviously you as an athlete? You know, you're you're pretty in tune with your your body and how it works, and like you said, like it's it's strengths versus its weaknesses, mm. whereas for a lot of people uh, that may just have a general interest in training or, or maybe just quite new to training, uh, maybe quite substantially overweight and want to drop body fat, yeah. who are just reading magazines or going online and, you know, men's health says, you know, do X, Y and Z, men's fitness says do the complete opposite, you know, so it is a little bit of a, you know, it's, it's a little bit crazy, you know, in terms it's of... Like, I just, I look at it and I think, you know, it's so complicated if you're just getting started, you know. Luckily, I have a coach who tells me what to do, and if I shouldn't really question it, you know. And then, and then I have, you have you put your trust in a coach. But if you're trying to start out on this road, it, it, it's so difficult, you know. You don't want to lose some weight. You want to lose a few a few pounds, shift a few kilograms. Like, how do you know what to do? Because everyone's going, oh, well, you should do this form of diet, or you should do this diet, and you should do this diet. You know, the reality is. People really find their ideal way of training or their ideal diet once they've tried a lot of things over the years. And it's not always what would be written in literature in, in men's health or men's fitness, yeah. but it's something which they found, this works for me and this is what I do. So the more you can help identify what the this works for me thing is, then the, the better, surely, you know? Well, um, one thing I was going to say, when um, when I saw the test and, and what it could tell you, and then obviously Matt and I have glanced at our results, <laughs> of course, but um, we, and we're we going to talk through our results with you in a second, but the first thing that occurred to me was I'm 33 and I started exercising when I was 19 at university just to drop a bit of body fat and, and just wanted to be, get healthy. And then for the next 13 years, um, so many things have sort of happened. I've tried so many different types of training and obviously um, got into the fitness industry as well, so made a career out of it. And I just thought, my God, if I knew um, what my test results showed me, showed me now, if I knew it when I was 19, I could have saved myself, as you've said, like so many injuries, really? so, so many like, <laughs> just, just headaches as well of like trying so many different things, getting frustrated that they didn't work for me. Um, you know, and sort of didn't really complement my health or my my body composition in some ways. And I, and what I'd learned by by this point now has taken me about thirteen years to get there. <laughs> right. Oh well, I'll be fascinated when we do correlate what your results are and what your experience is and stuff. So that, that's always the interesting part and always the, always the worrying part for me as well when talking through people's DNA results. <laughs> because I have to be able to uh, you know to be able to tell people you know if they say oh that doesn't I don't agree with me. that doesn't seem like me and then often we fish down we talk about what they've done in the past and the key thing to remember here with this is this isn't a method of choosing what sport you should be best at or yeah. choosing yeah. what your goal should be um, and that's the that's the key message that people get a bit worried about people are sensitive it's DNA it's what makes us so uh, obviously naturally people are somewhat 
sensitive to the word. However, we're trying to, trying to take the sort of smoke and mirrors out of the industry and make it very transparent and very obvious. And this is literally a, a piece of information. We're not trying to say this is a talent selection method or a talent identification method. We wouldn't say, oh, this is the correct genotype for a sprinter or this is the correct genotype for, um, for a marathon runner. It's actually just whatever the goal is, we can use this information to, to make the best training to reach that goal, whatever the goal may be. Yeah. See, I really like that, and I really like that you've kind of stressed that point because it's so easy for people to to read into things a little bit too much, so to speak. And you know, you don't want to start deterring people away from the things that they enjoy doing. No, I mean, because one, I mean, one scientifically, there's no basis for this. So um, th- that's the key point. Like, actually, whether uh, uh, you consider the ethics or not, that there's no science to say like, oh, this is what a sprinter looks like this is what a marathon runner looks like this is what a baseball player looks like for example there's no there's no one there's no right or wrong in your genetic results uh, and there's no like good or bad or um levels of how you can attribute that so you really have to get that across because immediately people think of this sort of i don't know like a um almost like an old eastern block sort of thing of like finding right you're made for this you're going to do this regardless i think of ivan drago in rocky four you know (laughs) in this lab with people scientists and clipboards and laptops and stuff and and then and actually this this really isn't that and and it should not be used as that because as I know from as well, and everyone knows, there's so much more to achieve than, than just the physical ability for it or the even a genetic makeup if, if science did identify it. Who are we to say you can't do one thing? Yeah. Because as everyone knows, many people have done stuff which they've been told they can't do, and that's almost the biggest motivator. Yeah, you know? so, definitely. Like, um, if you, it, who will to tell someone, oh, you can't be a sprinter if they want to be, because the chances are they can be. <laughs> and and it, because there's so many more myriad factors to this from your lifestyle, your environment, what you enjoy, you know. Some people have said to me, oh, since you've got your uh, DNA results, do you not think you'd be better at the 800 meters? And, and the fact is, I don't care if I'd be better at it, because I don't want to be an 800 meter runner. Yeah. I wanted to be a 400 runner. And if I didn't want to be it, I wouldn't have been able to be a 400 meter yeah, uh, and, and and that's it. There's 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 really like no way we can use DNA to try and tell someone what's the best sport for them. We're just trying to help whatever sport or goal they have, how best to reach it can be. Perhaps you can use your DNA to influence your decisions on that road. I think it's almost like um, this might sound daft, but your DNA has been secretly influencing you anyway because exactly. <laughs> you have sort of been establishing yeah. what you're good at and what you're not, yeah. and everyone enjoys what they're good at and hates what they're not good at. So, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's just trying to almost identify why you enjoy something. Or not yeah, no, absolutely. Mine was like confirmation. I was like, oh, I so knew that. Like, I really just oh, really? like, okay. yeah, but it made me feel really good because I was like, I know. But, but that is That's the interesting good. thing, right? Because when we got our results back. Keris is this. I'm talking about the DNA fit now. Yeah. Um, her results were not surprising at all. Like we, <laughs> okay. we just we pretty much knew that it was going to be there or thereabouts. Mm-hmm. Whereas I was really shocked by okay, yeah, right. by my result. Yeah. I, I was exp- and and. So I suppose but, we should explain. Um, we're talking about the the power endurance profile yeah. bit mainly. And, yeah, um, that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So mine came out as I think I was seventy five percent endurance, and um, and I've always loved running. I'm always. You, um, but you've always been good at endurance. Yeah, endurance. Just I love it, and I've always. I, I'm like the last person to give up on anything. Um, but I'm never the fastest or the strongest, so okay, okay, <laughs> I'm just okay, always yeah. the last one to give up. <laughs> so, um, and then with Matt, he was much more. What were you? Fifty four, forty five. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I was thinking it was fifty four point five endurance. Yeah. And then forty five point five. Uh, power. power and, and yeah, his face right. did fall a little bit and he was like I thought I'd be oh. more power yeah. <laughs> it's like... associate power with sort of like more exciting yeah. you know what I mean like, <laughs> I would I would have uh, felt like oh yeah if I was so much power then that'd be great um, but I mean I, I guess on superficially to um, to not go into too much sort of consultory detail here but Matt you're um, we, you would we would class you officially like down the middle, like really, um, fifty-four. It, it, we so once we go over fifty-five percent, we'd call it mixed with a bias uh, until we sort of reach sixty-five percent. Either way, um, so Matt, you, you'd be very much like 
half and half, really. And well, so, I, I was I thinking I'd be a good 400-meter runner, so I was thinking <laughs> I might have a stab at Rio. <laughs> If that's the right, if that's the right, if there's a right or wrong genotype, don't <laughs> we wouldn't know. I'm sure if I, I could test like some of my 400-meter rivals, perhaps they probably have very different um, gene you know, responses. So, um, but yeah, the, the, the thing to remember there, Matt, with yours is you're you're officially like what we call mixed, so uh, you know, half and half power and endurance, which uh, probably allows. I mean, have you done a great variety of stuff over over your years, like this, in training and stuff? Or? This is this this is why it's so funny because he's been a rugby player, a basketball player. He'll do a Spartan race without training. He's done half marathons. Like it's just he's the most frustrating person to go out with because he can do anything, and it really it really no, winds yeah, me that's, up. That's actually like the exact fifty fifty power endurance <laughs> guy to me. So. Exactly. <laughs> but, but I don't enjoy the endurance stuff at oh, all. No, I no. hate it with a passion. That's it, yeah. Well, yeah, you, you do, you but <laughs> <laughs> you, I was gonna say you do, but you're very, you have a very competitive nature, so you just like doing anything that's competitive. So you do in a way. You yeah. liked a marathon because it was a race, so yeah. half marathon. Definitely. Well, yeah, I wouldn't run that distance on my own. That's no. for sure. No. So but the, this is the this is the key, guys. Is like you know, as you just identified, there's so much more to it than just knowing what your gene type is, whether you enjoy it, um, lifestyle factors, you know, in some sports, whether you've got the financial wherewithal to even go down that sport or or experience, you know, if you're going to get into a sport which requires lots of expensive equipment, you might not have the opportunity when you're young. So, um, so that there's, there's so much more to it. Um, but what, what I'd say with yours, Matt, is that like, uh, you know, you're in a bit of a sort of slightly luxury position. If you want to gain, you've got a fitness goal or a certain goal in your health and fitness lifestyle, then um, you can probably enjoy quite relatively good gains from both a power or periodized, uh, sort of polarized three um, training program. So you can do some of the stuff which is very low rep numbers in the gym, but high sets at very high speed. You can also do the more classic hypertrophy, muscle growth stuff of 10 to 12 reps and um, endurance-based sort of lifting as well. And you'll probably see similar uh, gains from both schools. And that, that, that's, that's, the, that's the theory. We're actually doing clinical trials ourselves now across many sports to really uh, try and identify you know if you train towards your genotype based on based on your results uh, do you reach key performance indicators quicker than those that train on a normal control program see what, what's really interesting about that is when um, and I think I mentioned this to you when we met it, with regards to my weight training for example my one rep max it, it, for you know, like my one rep maxes aren't huge, but you know they're pretty decent by you know by I suppose general standards if you like. Yeah. But say for example, eight to ten rep max isn't that far off of my one rep max. Okay. Yeah. Very yeah, good. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. So you know, sometimes there could be like ten kilos in it, and you know, so for example, on my deadlift. My ten rep max was was only uh, ten kilos lighter than my one rep max. <laughs> that's quite impressive. And, and you think that's that, that's 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 you know because in your head you kind of think well if I can do ten reps on this then surely I'd probably be able to do about five on this. <laughs> and that's the same for me, mate. Like you know, we do a lot of Olympic lifts in the gym, and if uh, my power clean PB is is about about one rep power clean maybe it's about two and a half k more than that i just do on a daily basis to rep out you know but that, that <laughs> to make all the difference so yeah so yeah that's 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 quite interesting you know if you, you you'd almost want to be like oh if, surely if i can do 10 on this then my one rep max is a bit disappointing or something you know? yeah, exactly <laughs> Yeah, but I think yeah. it's reassuring, well, actually. Yeah. That, that, it, it was is, for me, and I think it should be for you guys. It's like reassuring because you can play to your strengths and you, mm -hmm. your weaknesses aren't really weaknesses anymore. Like, I don't think they are anyway. It's just a... Well, yeah, there's no real weakness from a genetic point of view. But, no. um, but you know, Matt's like in a, in a somewhat of a luxurious position there, as in like you could probably choose any training modality and expect that your gene responses will be equally associated with gains no matter what the training you know, the training modality you chose was so um it should be the poster boy i think for dna fit let's enter him into everything because oh, <laughs> I, I i joked with well, Kerry. dna fit uh, 10 rep deadlift well i joked with Kerris that the uh, the 54 percent that was endurance was my lower body and uh, the power was the upper body. It might be me. You never 
that, that, that could be the that could be DNA Fit 2.0. You can actually okay, test yeah. which Once muscles specifically. Get the genes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. So, so, we, so we, I'm looking. Keris is uh, split as well. Yeah, definitely. Well. Yeah. So I mean, 75. percent I would just call you a straight out endurance majority there. Yeah. Um, the one key thing to note, um, both of you hold the CC, otherwise known as the RR variation of the ACTN3 gene, um, or actin 3 gene, depends where you're educated and what, what school of genetics, whether you call it ACTN3 or actin 3 um, But this is one of the most heavily researched genes in relation to sporting performance. And interestingly, it's, uh, this CC version is extremely strongly associated with uh, sprint performance, short sprint performance. And you both hold this, this CC version. So uh, should you uh, spawn an offspring at some point, then uh, <laughs> then you, they, will, they will no doubt hold the CC version too and will have. So, Keris, with you, um, the way we work out the percentage is that, um, that we... We take into account the entire panel of genes that we test, which are associated with um, power or endurance, and all the genes uh, have been shown to be associated in multiple studies. We don't include any genes which are only shown in single studies, because obviously that's an inherently flawed logic to go from. Um, And those with the most research weigh the algorithm percentage heavier. So... Uh, for example, the ACTN3 gene is extremely heavily researched and the CC variation is extremely heavily researched to be associated with power. So you holding the CC variation of the ACTN3 would mean that that perhaps you know, is what stops you from being 85% endurance as opposed to uh, you know, 75 or even higher. Ah. So, um, so there's a little bit of sprint in me. <laughs> yeah, so you've got, you will have some response to you know, power training. Power training. So this but we would never make um, recommendations based on a single gene um it's just an interesting thing to point out from your panel there that you both hold this uh this sort of very it's like a headline gene variation <laughs> it's like it's like the a-list of the, of the gene world oh, um, so uh, you both got that one which is quite interesting <laughs> <laughs> no it's interesting because um Again, having entered the fitness industry and you just, we, you know, we, we went off and did lots of things like kettlebell training and Olympic lifting. And, and whilst I enjoy it, I always love learning, you know, sort of new, new skills to train. But one, I was never as good at those things as, as a lot of my peers. So I'd get quite frustrated. But the other thing was um, the fitness industry has this thing where it's moved against like cardio and endurance training. And, and so for a while I didn't do it. Uh, and recently I went back to it and I feel amazing for it and I'm really enjoying it. And so when my test came through, um, I just thought that was really interesting that obviously this is just something that I've, you know, it's probably because I'm good at it that I enjoy it. That's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's it. Um, you know, the, the fitness industry is very, very fickle. Um, and, you know, every year it's like, this is the thing. Someone's finally discovered the, the cure-all elixir of getting fit. Yeah. And at the moment, they're really against cardio. You know? Yeah, like definitely. It's very, due to, due to uh, you know, whatever, a couple of very popular fitness programs, it's very high-intensity interval training-based. Yeah. And it's very against uh, low-intensity aerobic work. Now, that that is fine and there's lots of really good stuff behind that but for some people like you found in your experience uh there may be some reasons why they love cardio stuff and if they're going to get fit and you know if you want the whole populace to be fitter it means people need to be open to every training method and what works for the individual absolutely and 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 to be honest it it was strange that i actually had almost forgotten how good i felt doing it and how much all my health markers were better and um even in terms of body composition and when i do try and do more strength training it doesn't really suit my body composition at all um so yeah right right. and the test just sort of really i'd actually gone back to doing that anyway to do more endurance and when i got the test results it just made me feel really good thought yeah (laughs) playing to my strengths so with the training side of things um you, most people kind of have a generally you know a, a quite a good idea like we said of, of what bracket they'll probably fall into based on what sports they've done at school etc but the kind of the, the the dna so what's the other one so it's the dna fit and then the other one is dna diet yeah. right dna fit diet yeah DNA yeah fit diet. that's yeah. it um and that's probably where it gets a little bit more complicated a little bit more juicy right that's right, yeah. So, I mean, um, uh, you know, the uh, the other 
as I mentioned before, from the fitness panel, you get your power endurance. That's not the be all and end all of it. We have the your VO two response, uh, your uh, recovery speed, and your injury risk. Um, so all very useful in, in professional sport. You know the work we do across professional sport, especially across a whole football team, for example, is we can group people on higher genetic injury risk versus lower genetic injury risk, and then the support staff can make the right uh, infrastructure changes or training changes based on that. And uh, and then similarly from maybe like the recovery speed. Say for instance, a football team plays the game on a Saturday, they have a rest on a Sunday, and they train on Monday. Um, some guys might be at a particularly slow recovery speed they might need a little bit longer and why not try the guys with the slower genetic recovery speed giving them a little bit more rest and see if that uh, they thrive off that so that's on the fitness side so then dna fit diet yeah um and this oh, is I was where... to say um andrew just sorry. um interesting yeah. sorry because matt's jumped onto diet but what i was going to say both of us um very similar to you had been uh, plagued by injury and we I both mean, had the okay. high injury yeah. risk um, I got um, um, joint tendonitis in both knees for about 18 months and couldn't do anything for about... high injury risk here. Yeah, well. yeah. <laughs> so um, what was interesting was that was probably what switched me more onto nutrition because I started to research um, sort of, you know, sort of how I could heal, you know, injuries through nutritional therapy. Yeah, through nutrition, yeah. yeah. So, and, and, the, and the report actually flags up some things that we could do and that was really interesting with... You know things That's like yeah. omega threes, reduce inflammation, and and we actually drink. Um, this is called, might, might sound a bit strange to you, but we drink bone broth um, as much as we can. So we boil up bones for the collagen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 for the collagen. Yeah, yeah. Two, two of the genes we test for are the yeah. one A one and call five A one genetics. So yeah, that's good. So it's, it's quite interesting when we yeah, saw I mean, that, it, wasn't we, it? You know, tendonitis is, uh, is is you know probably one of the strongest associated problems along with your with that we can test for based on the genetic panel so um so that's really that's really interesting to hear yeah. what what do you do in terms of injury prevention based on your results yeah. that you had well so after i tore my achilles tendon in uh, late 2011 um we decided that now a common um eccentric rehab program for Achilles tendons is, is very, very common. Anyone who has a calf injury or a tendon tendinopathy, they'll go to a physio, they'll tell them to do some eccentric uh, loading or some isometric loading. It's like a very well-known protocol for rehabbing uh, Achilles problems. Now, we decided after I tore my Achilles tendon that I was going to do that in my strength and conditioning sessions anyway, even if I didn't have the symptoms. And, uh, and, it, and it worked very well for me. I've not really suffered tendinopathy since, touch wood. And, and basically by just keeping on top of my um, management of, of this sort of eccentric and isometric loading, um, I'm sort of going some way towards preventing tendinopathy issues in my Achilles. So obviously injury prevention is like the biggest thing in professional sport. It's like all yeah. that matters because once someone's at a certain level, their performance is always good. They're quite good. So the key is just keeping them fit and yeah. letting them recover. So um, to know this, um, you know, is... The danger comes in not knowing, you know, if, um, if, for example, you know, as an athlete, I knew I was, I'm high risk, if I knew beforehand, I could have taken it very seriously when I had some more tendopathy pain and said, no, you know, and I can use this as de facto information to influence my coach to say, look, I've got, te I've got tendon pain, I probably need to wait off training longer than you would be happy to until it's really gone because I am at a genetically predisposed risk of tendon injury, for example. Yeah. Um, so that's how I'm using it, and I'm just keeping the back of my mind. I'd already made the infrastructure changes through trial and error anyway, but if I had known this beforehand, listen, like when I tore my Achilles tendon, I had a tendinopathy, very sore, very sore Achilles for about 10 days prior, but I still ran through because the London 2012 Olympics was on its way, and I couldn't yeah. oh, wow. miss this sessions. And actually, God. I ruined by the 2012 Olympics by trying to get there through my tendon pain. If I'd had this information, I just wonder if it could have helped influence my decision-making to say, no, I'm going to step back. I know I need to be fast for London, but... I'm at a very high risk of tendon injury and I've got some tendon pain. Let's yeah. just not ruin it all now. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 It's so, funny because uh, so it's very influential. I used to say to Matt when I was training, I get, I've got it in my elbows as well, but I used to say, when I get going, it's fine, I can't even feel it, whereas now, <laughs> I, I listen to my body a lot more and definitely yeah, ease back. Yeah, that's it, yeah. <laughs> that's the like, if you do warm it up sufficiently, it vanishes briefly, and then yeah. as soon as you try and warm up the next day, it's back there. Yeah. Know, it's yeah. Worse. yeah. Thing is, I think everyone's been there though, haven't they? They have like a, what starts off as a little niggle, and but they warm up and they're fine, and then slowly it takes a little bit longer for it to kind of warm up, and the next thing you know, you're left with a 
horrible injury that's troublesome injury yeah so you know people i I just try and use this genetic injury risk score to influence your decision making uh to you know if you've got one goal if you're trying to run the london marathon and like you know you're trying to get fit for the london marathon and you're worried about oh i can't miss my training you know maybe when you're at the high or very high risk you might have to like score how serious out of 10 it is and choose a threshold point based on your injury risk at what point you say no i'm better to be less fit but uninjured than i am injured but completely fit do you know what I mean? yeah, so, yeah yeah but that's the biggest problem i mean because I've, I've got no qualms in telling someone that i don't think that they should do a marathon for example you know i don't care how much they want to do one if i think it's at odds with their health goals and maybe mm. their body composition goals or i believe that based on maybe how much weight they're carrying, for example, that it may not be a good idea. But that's really hard for people to take on, right? You know, if if they've got it in their head that they're going to run a marathon. But I think we, we spoke about this last time, that the amount of people that uh, enter a marathon in the hope that they're going to lose weight as a bit of a, uh, a byproduct of it and then get really surprised when they actually start putting on weight, for example. Mm, yeah, like, because they, they end up you know, doing more, therefore eating more and following, like, what they've read one article about marathon training, this is how you train for a marathon, you know, so it's a risky, it's a risky business, yeah, and, like, if you can understand a little bit more about yourself um, when you perhaps haven't got 10 years of health and fitness experience under your belt to know what works for you, then, uh, then hopefully you're just skipping a little bit of the trial and error. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Well, Andrew, before we move on to the, uh, the DNA Fit Diet, um, just quickly, how do you guys? So obviously we've had our test, and you know we had the pleasure of meeting you, and you know we we got we got the inside scoop, so to speak. You know how how would somebody else who's come to you and let's say they've let's assume they've done DNA fit diet and DNA fit. How how do you guys then work with them? You know once so, they've got their results because most people probably won't understand a good chunk of it, right? No, no, that's right. So I mean we. You know, We've done our very best to make this uh, communicated in our reports as easily understandable as possible. But one of our main um, business aims is we we run a monthly education course uh, for personal trainers to come and learn about the science behind genetics and fitness, um, and then to understand basically how that influences uh, how to write a training program based on your genetics. And therefore, so we've got a network essentially now, personal trainers nationwide and uh, internationally as well. We ran a course in LA not long ago um, so then when people take the test they can find a trainer near them uh, or a That's gym near idea. them that uses the DNA fit and they can therefore work with that trainer who can help interpret their report write a program based on their genetics uh, to hopefully help them reach their goals quicker well, that's, that's like, do you imagine, I mean, I don't sort of, I'm not working as a personal trainer anymore, but that would have been an awesome tool to have at that time. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I would have taken a lot of PT my... Uh... great, you know, because yeah. the PT's like, well, I can offer this very latest thing. I can also sort of use this to help me get my clients' results quicker. Absolutely. So you them, and they're happy with their results and so on. So A better um, house with compliance as well, though, because if clients see it on paper, you know, okay, you're, you know, you're, you're more predisposed to power, you're going to get better results or, or possibly better results yeah. with power training, then they're going to be more up for a lot of the, the sessions that you plan. And, yeah, I think That's it's a great it. yeah, tool. I mean, it's a sort of... You know, and even in professional sport, you'd be surprised how how much this is used as sort of to influence behavioural change. So, you know, if you can say to the manager of your team, for example, like, this guy is at a higher risk of injury, so if he's complaining, believe him. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. um, and, and similarly to, to uh, an athlete themselves or to an individual in the gym, like, trust me, this is the best training for you and there here is this on paper why <laughs> then, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know that uh, because it's in your genes and, and the key thing is here guys is like um this isn't a reactive test this is your genetics this doesn't change you know so it's a one-off test uh, for the rest of your life you can use the information um it doesn't it's not a blood marker it's not a blood test that might change depending on whether you're fasted or where you've eaten in the last 24 hours and what's gone on in your life you know this is just your genetics and they don't change so um it's quite sort of a concrete piece of information so it does it does help sort of yeah trainer client compliance as well you know that's it i think our, our trainers are uh are, are, really enjoying using it and as we our mission is to really just educate as many uh, people as we can in the basis of genetics to raise the industry and knowledge of the industry as a whole 
do, do you think um, is is there is there one of the tests more popular than the other, or or is it quite equal? It's quite equal. Yeah, I mean, oh, is uh, it? yeah, we we. Um, I mean, really, like we get a surprising, a surprise amount of people buy the full, the full package. So people like, I mean, I guess in an ideal world, if uh, I don't want this to come across like a sales thing, you know, like an ideal world, you get both your fitness and your diet panels, and then you have the full picture, you know, and because uh, as you know, they don't sit alone. Your nutrition is hand in hand with your training. Yeah. Um, but I can't really, I, I, I can't remember the exact thing, but generally we get quite a good sales across the board, and we probably get, you know. Um, different kinds of people buying different tests and stuff but i'd have to log into my google analytics account there and <laughs> all that stuff for you but no, i just I, I think if you bought problem. one you'd, you'd immediately want the other i know i would have done if i <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah sort of like a well that's 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 fine for us i guess yeah. <laughs> so should we move on to the dna fit diet then yes um, yeah, so what that looks that. at yeah so I mean, again, if you just give like a bit of a brief intro to yeah. to what that is, because I mean, is it is it a food intolerance test? Is it a food sensitivity test, or what? It's essentially a, there's a there's a school of genetic science called nutrigenetics. So nutrigenetics studies uh, the link between our genetics and environment for our health and our nutrition. So um, our chief scientific officer, uh, Dr. Keith Grimaldi, is very heavily involved in uh, some very large EU-funded projects which are studying nutrigenetics and how our genes influence our lifestyle and how our you know dietary choices in our lifestyle influence our health. Um, so uh, this is essentially a, a, a series of markers um, associated with your nutrigenetic response. So um, uh, I guess we didn't really touch on some some basic genetics 101 when we started. Um, so when we hold a gene, we hold um, we, we're looking at a, a thing called a SNP, which is um, an SNP, and to give it the long name, if I can like remember my genetic science uh, well enough a single nucleotide polymorphism <laughs> so, wow. um, uh, and this is essentially like a, a, a small variation uh, in, in in the gene so um, it, when I mentioned before the ACTN3 gene how you hold the CC variation uh, that's essentially a, 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 a snip there a single nucleotide uh, polymorphism and that's uh, that's one version of variation of that gene so you could have the CC the CT or the TT version of ACTN3, and um, they're generally made up of the genetic alphabet, which is A, C, G, and T. Um, so you might inherit one version of one from your father, one version of one from your mother, and you have a mixed, uh, you know, genetic uh, mixed variation there. Or you might inherit the same version from each of your parents and have CC, for example, uh, like you guys have. So um, that's that's what that's how we test for things. That's what we look for. Um, and there are a key. There's some key genes, a panel of key genes associated with various nutrition. Um, uh, markers or changes so um, we look at in our diet test the DNA fit diet test uh, we look at your carbohydrate sensitivity uh, your saturated fat sensitivity as I said before salt alcohol caffeine sensitivity uh, celiac predisposition lactose uh, intolerance and then a selection of key micronutrients so there's uh, there's a selection of gene variations which are associated with needing a raised amount of key micronutrients vitamin B for example or vitamin D um, and so we can tell people that and, and from that help to help them to identify and make or influence the right choices in their diet planning so when you say um, sensitivity, what what do you mean by that? Just to kind of uh, clarify for people. So if someone, so, as I say, if someone has a low carbohydrate sensitivity, for example. Yeah. So, so so essentially, it's um, uh, uh, like for example, a, a very high carbohydrate sensitivity um, means that you would, uh, get more energy per gram of carbohydrates than someone with a low carbohydrate sensitivity if that makes sense yeah um, so uh, it's not quite as simple as saying oh you can eat carbohydrates or you can't and so on but for example through my career um i worked with a very good sports nutritionist uh, outside of uh, british athletics outside of the system uh, and so um so i had some very good bespoke nutrition advice and even though i'm a runner and an athlete i would you know i was actually eating pretty low carb 
um, all my career, like almost, all, you know, almost, almost very low carb for large weights in my training. Um, and that was the only way I could get my body composition down. That was the only way I could shift fat. Because although I'm a professional athlete, I still had loads of problems staying lean, even though all the training I was doing. Um, and then the other athletes around me are there eating Jaffa cakes all day and eating big bowls of pasta and all this stuff. And I'm lamenting <laughs> the fact that I'm there with my salad. And I would say, for, for example, one particular thing in the Athlete Village Food Hall at Beijing, where there's a 24-hour free McDonald's. Oh, you know, my God. I'm, sur- <laughs> yeah, I'm surrounded by other athletes who are as fast or faster than me eating McDonald's two days before their race no and way. I'm there with wow. a salad you know and I'm, I'm, I'm going what have I done to deserve this <laughs> <laughs> and actually when I got my uh, my DNA fit diet test back I was a very high sensitivity to carbohydrates so it kind of made sense to me I was like well okay you know, I, I I was like getting more energy per gram from carbohydrates. Therefore, um, it was it was causing more body comp issues for me than it would for someone else. Ah, so I'm quite lucky because I've got very low carbohydrate sensitivity, so I can eat McDonald's. Then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 was your, uh, so what was your saturated fat sensitivity? Uh, very low as well. Very low as well. Oh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> lucky you. Um, <laughs> there, there could be. Um, there could be loads more things that perhaps in the future genetic science will be able to measure and, you know, maybe you'll be able to say um, there's been a couple of sort of quite hyperbolic um, press articles recently about the fat gene and so on. And there's no such thing, you know, there's no one gene which is the fat gene or the obesity risk gene. Maybe science will reach there in the future, maybe it needs more research. Um, But we're just trying to, you know, take into account here if... um, for for example, in in, uh, in a football team we work with, um, they were very much of the new school of lowering the carbohydrate. You know, very much how um, how science is going that way, and it's very trendy to be low carb, high fat. You know, and um, and they have these two players which they couldn't really shift uh, their body comp down. Now, relatively, this is within professional sport parameters, so they were still pretty lean, I'm sure. Um, yeah. And they couldn't shift it down to they had a goal of under 10 percent body fat, for example. Um, and, and they just couldn't do it. And I think what was really going on was perhaps they, they were struggling to stick to the diet probably outside of training. These do you know, it's, it's, it's funny because when you said that, I thought, do you know what Matt's answer will be to that? The lion. The lion. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's his answer yeah. to anybody that doesn't get results. Yeah. Well, we, there's, there's, a, there's a really good study called the Athens Weight Management Study from 2007, which our chief scientific officer uh, was part of. And that looked at... Um, two groups, a control group and a group that did a genotype-based diet. And they both lost the same amount of weight in the short term, but a year later, the guys that did the genotype-based diet had kept their weight off and the guys that didn't hadn't, you know. Yeah, so um, so it's, a, it's a case of, like you said, you know, perhaps your DNA influences your whole life um, uh, with, your, with your sport choices or your training choices, and probably this way too, you know, what really is difficult for you, maybe the DNA plays a role there and, you know, this can help you identify that. That's amazing. I mean, so who would you say essentially this this test is for? I mean, because obviously both Keris and I are in the industry. We train. We we like eating awesome food. And for us, that we you know we had a general interest in kind of what our results would be. Um, yeah. But who 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 would you kind of recommend that this this test is for? Who who's a typical customer, so to speak? Well, I mean, you know, for, for me, this is the, the this is um, this is really quite useful for someone that's just like I want to. I'm, I'm not happy with my body composition. I want to get fit and I want to lose some weight. And this is a great entry point to start help you to help you find out and sort of maybe slightly individualize or bespoke tailor what what you're going to do to get there, rather than just read like the papers every day and get different advice. Um, so uh, you know that that's this is this is a, you know, definitely definitely for those people. But then also, like I said, like this is we can't really differentiate between training and nutrition for peak health and fitness, uh, or for the best choices for anyone. Is it goes absolutely hand in hand as any good trainer ever knows. Yeah. Um, you can you can have the worst diet in the world. Uh, uh, and the best training and you won't get anywhere or you can do vice versa and you won't get anywhere you know so um, it, it's it's just part of the complete package so if you're looking to maintain with the weight you're right if you're looking to for muscle growth if you're looking to shift pounds and lose weight you know there's no harm in understanding what your nutrigenetic responses are 
in order to just influence your choices. So since you um, made the changes based on your results, um, did you see a change in your body composition or...? Well, for me, I'd almost, like I said before, I'm a bit further down this line and I'd found out through trial and error. But I have the luxury of trial and error because it's my job. So I can spend yeah. every day for a year doing one way and then I can change it, you know, and yeah. I can find out what works for me. Um, so essentially, I'd been for, I knew already that I couldn't like basically eat carbohydrate as much as the next athlete and uh, and I knew that um, and this isn't as simple as that it's not as simple as saying oh you can or you can't uh, but my sensitivities sort of matched my experience um, so I, I'm already there you know um, <laughs> I'm already there with my with my nutrition thanks to expert advice very expensive expert advice sometimes and uh, and trial and error um, but what I did find interesting in the year with me is like perhaps my, for my uh, omega-3 needs or I don't a raised need for vitamin D and stuff because that could help me make the small tweaks to my supplementation and to my nutrition regime uh, that might make just the difference, you know. So, um, at the elite level, it's still very useful. Well, no, it's not still, it, it is extremely useful at the elite level, but it's also extremely useful just the entry level. You know, I'm, I'm starting on this road, I just want to try and slightly light the path to understand which way I'm going. One of the, I mean, one of the the benefits. I this is what I found as well is because I've studied nutrition, so I knew about some of the SNPs that existed. So I'd heard, um, isn't it? I think it's estimated. Is it forty or fifty percent of the population um, can't convert folic acid into folate? Um, right, and I'm yeah. a bit naughty in that, so I'll just start supplementing because <laughs> I'll, I'll just assume that that's probably going to be me. Um, and I did the same with the glutathione snip. I thought, well, I always seem to be quite sensitive to chemicals, so that'll definitely be me. And actually, mine have all come back fine, so like, <laughs> it's actually going to save me well, some money. You know, there's, there's, there's a bit of, um, you know, there's this trend for in, inverted commas, intolerances and, and so on in nutrition yeah. and, and i don't really science doesn't really know where it lies on that side of things so far and um, the key thing is the interesting the, i find really interesting the lactase gene the lct gene uh, for your lactose intolerance and it's actually as opposed to lactose intolerance is the presence of the lactose tolerance gene which we can test for yeah. so um you know th there's a variation in the in this gene which as mammals, we mostly lose after a certain period of time after we're born. So we need it when we're born uh, to, to feed, um, as all mammals do. And then eventually you lose the ability, the enzyme, which can process lactose. However, at some point in history, our, our scientific officer told me the time, some, somehow they managed to identify it was maybe, I don't know, 8,000 years ago or something like that. Um, and there was a, I can't remember what the time period was, maybe a bit shorter. Um, they managed to identify that a certain group of the population developed the ability to keep this, this genetic variation, this enzyme to process lactose. Um, because and it's mostly northern European uh, ancestry because they were in cold climates and the cow was a very efficient way to keep food coming through the winter. But yeah, so, I was going to ask you, is it, and does that still sit now that when you're yes. doing the test you're seeing more sort of northern European, well I don't know if you're doing it by... Well yeah, I mean I don't know, we don't... We don't uh, measure we don't the data. Ancestry profile, so yeah. uh, we wouldn't know. But um, yeah, I understand the frequencies are uh, very high um, of lactose tolerance within those that would be of a northern European uh, ancestral genotype, and they're, they're very low within those that aren't. So, um, so that's the that's the really interesting thing. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's almost like this is almost like what you either have you have the genetic variation that can process lactose uh, to a degree, or you don't, and uh, and you can make a sort of really strong assumption there based on it, should I take lactose out of my diet, or should I reduce it, uh, just from one, one genetic variation. That's awesome, really good. Another thing to point out, though, Andrew, mate, is um, with this test, because obviously it's based on your genes, it's literally, you just, you do it once, and that's it, right? Yeah, that's it, so as I said before, it's like... Um, it's kind of reassuring to do something which is just concrete. You know, it's not reactive. Um, it's not about whether you've eaten something wrong in the day before or, you know, how are you feeling? Did you sleep well? So they, can, they can all affect your blood test uh, markers uh, on, on normal sort of classic uh, classic blood tests that, that your doctor would do, for example. So this is just literally, this is some, this is some information about your, the, what variations of, of these genes you hold and what though they are associated with 
in science and therefore this doesn't change the variation won't change maybe they'll become more research about one variation and it will influence what that might mean you should do on it but the actual results won't change so um, that's really quite reassuring I think nowadays it's quite rare to just get something that's so concrete and like this is this is you these 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 genes you hold these versions and they are associated with this but there you go take it away for the rest of your life because I know with like a lot of because um, what we certainly saw in our industry anyway that there was a, a bit of a surge in popularity if you like in like food intolerance testing etc and, there, there, and uh, but obviously with that um, a lot of people would, would get retested wouldn't they to see if yeah, I believe with uh, this uh, certain product, which you may not or may not be referring to, um, the, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah, is this something like every six weeks or something, or do you do it after six months? I've never done one myself. But, um, I think they vary, don't they? Because yeah. I know some yeah. say like three months and others it's sooner and whatnot. But, but that's what I like with this one. It is, it's very much like you say, you, you buy it, you do it, and it's job done. You've got the information to, to work on for life, so to speak. And also, yeah, you should, um, we should probably mention you get a diet, um, you actually get a, di- a meal plan and a shopping list and some recipes um, with your report, don't you? Because we've got... That's right, yeah. So on the diet side, like, um, we can, you know, supply, uh, based on the test someone someone buys, uh, you know, it's a 12-week a uh, diet plan based on what, what would be the uh, recommended diet based on your genetic results. Um, so sort of one of three options... Uh, just to give it some general guidance, and then uh, and then also like even a shopping list for that particular diet from any of the major UK supermarkets, and we're, we're oh, constantly working on that to improve uh, what what we can offer there, and uh, and you know we're actually also starting to um, run courses for nutritionists, uh, so they can come and be trained on the science behind nutrigenetics and understand um, how they can use the information to get the best for their clients. And what are the three diets at the moment that you... So at the, moment, at the moment we do a uh, low saturated fat diet, a low carbohydrate plan and a Mediterranean uh, diet. So um, based on the results, we can sort of we'll funnel your results into one of those three, um, one of those three outcomes. And, and we're looking to expand that and, you know, give it maybe, maybe even link it to more well-known diet types as well and so on. So that, that'd be, that'd be something for the future and a constantly sort of moving feast here that we, because it's a very, it's a very new, um, it's not very new, but it's very sort of um, rare industry in a way. It's sort of only just be starting to come into the public consciousness of the world of personal genetics. Uh, so as we improve, hopefully we'll be able to like give some more, uh, diet types and even you know who knows maybe like food food delivery plans or food plans based on it wow so yeah, it's got it's got plenty of room to evolve yet then by the sound yeah i'm sure it has i mean i see this like, i see you know personal genetics like it's not going to go away now it's reached this threshold point um and it's probably going to become a commodity i just see as the default the default activity when you join a gym in five years time might be the part of your induction as you get a dna test or the default activity when you're going to start a weight loss plan take a dna test help that influence what i choose to do uh, i just think it's going to become the absolute standard uh, and, uh, and you know hopefully as we're doing our bit here and uh, everyone else just becomes more au fait with the notion of personal genetics that we can really start to get rid of this sort of fad based one size fits all approach to everything yeah awesome oh it's wicked well, all right Andrew, I think we're going to wrap it up there, buddy. Um, thank you so much for your time, mate. Um, like this kind of thing, honestly, we could just talk about it for for hours on end. We'll we'll chat on it on um, on future podcasts. I'm sure me and Matt are going to keep bringing it up because yeah. <laughs> we're definitely going to be implementing some things based on our results. Oh, hundred percent. So. I mean, we we wanted to kind of keep our results a bit of a a bit hush hush because we always knew we were going to chat, chat you know chat to you about the results on the podcast. So. Um, once this is out there, we can kind of talk about it freely and whatnot. But uh, before we say Tara, mate, um, do you want to just uh, tell everyone where you know where they can get a little bit more information about this? That's right. So just um, just head to our website dnafit.com, nice and easy to remember, uh, and you'll find on there all the information about our our various products we offer. We've got our fitness test, the diet test, and then our combination test, which is uh, the premium versions of both. 
uh, brought together. You know, if you order on the website, we've sent out to you by the post, do your swabs at home in you, at your convenience, send them back to us in the post, and then you get your results via email um, within seven to ten business days. So uh, it's really quite an easy process. And if you're... Um, if you're a, a, a trainer yourself or a nutritionist, um, just head to dnafitpro.com and uh, you can take a look and get in touch with us there to hopefully maybe attend one of our education courses and understand how best to use that with your clients. Awesome. And are you guys on fit, uh, on Fitter? I was about to say, <laughs> that, that, that's, a, that's a combination of uh, Twitter and yes. Facebook, I think. Um, that's it. Yeah, we're, we're, we're on Facebook, DNA Fit, and we're on Twitter, DNA Fit HQ. So, um, yeah, give us, give us a follow, give us a like on Facebook as well, and interact with us there, and you can help answer any further queries anyone else has got, and, uh, and even, um, you know, it probably might be my, me, myself, on there. So, uh, <laughs> any particular sporting queries too, then, then send them that way, and I'll be on hand to answer. And we need to look out for you in the next Commonwealth Games then as yes, well. Do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and hopefully running well and then, then I can be the greatest marketing message ever. For yeah. the <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> as if there wasn't enough pressure already. You've not got that on your shoulders. Have <laughs> yeah. you, you already planned your, your gold medal winning speech? <laughs> yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, I might get around to writing that soon. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> I'll see how the training goes out in Florida. Awesome. Well, Andrew, again, thank you so much for your time, mate. I know uh, you, you're you probably dying to actually be out in the Florida sun right now, but yet you're stuck inside talking to us. Always <laughs> what, a pleasure. It's better than the sun. What's the time difference here? You're like about, what, uh, seven, eight? Five, so five hours behind you guys. Oh, five? Oh, is that, is that all? Yeah, more. yeah, it's quite close to you there, yeah. That's oh, not too bad then. So the, the the peak of the sun's gone then, so yeah, that's not too bad. Tea time. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at my my teammates all just in the pool out through the door. Actually, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> well, right, we won't keep you anymore then. <laughs> we'll leave you to it, mate. Well, yeah, thank you, mate. And, yeah, thank uh, you so much. Best of luck in the Commonwealth Games, buddy, and uh, no doubt chat to you again soon. Thanks very much, guys. All nice right. one, mate. Bye See bye. you later.